got way more than we're going to have time for this morning. So just trust the Holy Spirit to lead us to what needs to be said. And, and um, we'll save whatever we don't have time for this morning for another time together. But I want to begin this morning in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. And I'll put that one up on the board. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's one of my favorite prophetic verses of Jesus because it speaks of him not just coming, but him being given. He didn't just come to this earth, he was given to this earth. He didn't just come to you, he was given to you. And when there's a gift involved, there requires a response um, on behalf of the one that it's given to. In other words, if, if, um, if you're given a gift this Christmas, you have a choice to receive it. You got that moment where somebody gives you a gift and they stand there and look at you, you know, do you open it now? Do you open it later? Do you open it in front of them? You know, it's, it's that whole thing. But, but nonetheless, in order for you to benefit from the gift, you have to respond positively to that gift. You have to receive the gift. And the same is true with Jesus as the greatest gift that has ever been given. Now, the Lord's really been speaking to me lately about the place that we give Him in our lives. I want you to really just let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning, okay? Um, the Lord's really been speaking to me lately about the place we give Him in our lives. Now, that includes the place that I give Him in my life and the place that you give Him in your life. But then we've got the place that we give Him in our lives as a collected whole, as, as a family of faith called Heritage Christian Center. And while we can't do collectively what we do not do individually, there's something very powerful when we as individuals give him the place that he is worthy of, that he deserves, and then we come together as a whole. It creates an environment, it creates an atmosphere where Father's purposes can prosper. Um, among us, and, and He can do in and through us what He longs to do in and through us. Um, the, the place that you give Him determines His ability to help you. Okay? Now, I want to make sure you understand this because I, I use the word ability. And, and if we're not careful, our minds will do something funny with that because you say ability and we hear willingness. doesn't affect his willingness to help you, his desire to help you. It affects his ability to help you, okay? Now, I know that this is kind of some strong stuff, but I, I really, again, am asking you to, to consider... Um, what, what the Word of God uh, says because, you know, some of the verses that we love to quote, all things work together, right? Um, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard what God has prepared for us, right? Well, 
that's really not what those verses say. The Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love him. And that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. The things that God has, again, prepared for not just everybody, but prepared for those who love him. Turn with me quickly to Mark chapter 6. And I just want to prove that it's not just his willingness to help you, but literally the place that you give him in your life determines his ability, his ability to help you. And by place, we're, we're talking about um, how we esteem him, the, the priority that, that we, we assign him, the value um, that, uh, that he occupies, the place that he occupies in our lives, in our time, in our priorities. Amen. So Mark chapter 6, I'll put these verses on the board as well. Verse number 1, it's, he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is, not, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were, what, offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. Notice it says he would not. It says he could not do any mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. He went about in the villages in a circuit. In other words, he, he, he literally strategically planned a pattern and went from village to village teaching the people. Now we'll talk in just a moment about what he was teaching the people. But let's, let's look at this closely, okay? Jesus has, you know, well into his earthly ministry. He is, um, you know, performing mighty works, you know, helping people, uh, healing people, casting devils out of people, um, you know, so many things that are taking place in other locations where Jesus was, I guess, in essence, a stranger. And by stranger, I mean all the people knew about him was what was taking place and what they were witnessing and what they were experiencing. And, and how they were responding to him. Now Jesus comes back to his hometown, and he's ready to roll up his sleeves and get busy. Um, if, if there's anywhere you want to help somebody, it's, it's the people that you grew up with. If there's, any, if there's any group of people on planet Earth that you want to do something for, it's the people that babysat you. It's, it's the people that were your daddy's customers and, 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 and these kinds of things. And so he comes, and, and at first it sounds like they're really excited. You know, they're like, where does he get these amazing things that he's saying and all sort of stuff? But notice it says that they were, again, offended at him. They were offended at him. And they asked the question, is, is this not Mary and Joseph's son? Are, are his brothers and sisters not right here with us? Did we not go to school with them? Did, did he not make the table in our kitchen? And so notice now, what are they doing? They're giving him a place that is equal to 
themselves. They're giving him a place, but the place that they're giving him is no different than anybody else that they grew up with, anybody else they went to school with, anybody else that's, uh, you know, left home and come back. Amen. Uh, and, and so notice it, it, what that really says in the Bible captures the heart of it, whether they understood it this way or not, is that they were offended at him. So let me, let, me try to, let me try to translate that. Who does he think he is? Right? You know, who does he think he is coming in here? You know, we heard about what's been happening in other places, but don't think you're going to come back in, in hometown because we know you, Jesus. We know who you are. We, we were raised with you. So you, you may be pulling that off other places, but, but um, you know, you, you're going to come back in here. You're just like one of us. Notice now, it's the place that they're giving him. In other words, they're giving him not an elevated place, but a common place. Now, when we were children and, and somebody would give us a gift, if we hadn't learned it yet, more than likely our parents taught us how to respond. Who remembers that look from your mother and she would say, what do you say? Right? What do you say? Amen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So what were, our, what were our mothers doing? Our mothers were teaching us how to respond when we're given a gift. Amen. How to respond when we're given a gift. Now, what I'm going to offer to you this morning is that when we were given the gift of Jesus, none of us knew how to properly respond to Him. None of us knew how to respond to a gift that was given of such magnitude, of, of such importance. In other words, what is the right response? What is the right attitude? And so what I believe when Jesus went about in a circuit teaching is he went about teaching people the, how to respond to him in order to receive, in order to benefit from what he came to do in their lives. Remember, John the Baptist came first and he preached a message of repentance. Then Jesus came. He preached a message of repentance. Then Jesus sent the twelve apostles to preach a message of repentance. Then Jesus sent the first seventy disciples or missionaries in, 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 out and to preach again what a message of repentance. So it sounds to me like this message of repentance is really important, right? What, what is a message of repentance? It's, this word repent means to have a, a new condition of mind, a, a new way of, of looking uh, at things. In, in other words, he's in essence saying, you, you've got to think different than the way you've thought in the past. Because if you keep thinking the way you've always thought, you're going to completely miss out on this new thing that God has come in the midst of you to do among you. Amen. So I believe Jesus went about, again, teaching this, this, this gospel of, of, of repentance, this gospel of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some of you know uh, Anton and, and, and Cherie. Um, Anton's from the Netherlands. And, um, and from time to time he goes back and, and, and works there and, and um, still has business interests there. And, 
And um, this last time when he came back, he, he brought with him some fresh soul, okay? Now, that's spelled S-O-L-E for those of you who were raised on bass and brim, okay? It's a fish, amen. And um, he'd been telling me about this for a couple of years, and so uh, he brought some back on dry ice, and, um, and, he, and he cooked me a soul, amen. Now, thank you, brother. What a gift, right? But here's the thing, right, about this gift of soul that he gave to me, all right? He had to teach me how to eat it. Amen. There is a very specific way that you have to run the knife down the spine and around the edges where the gills are. And by the way, you cook them whole, right? So you got the fish laying there with his lips kind of like this and his eye looking up at you, right? You kind of want to put your napkin over his eye. But anyway, praise God. All right. And so, so another, again, notice he gave me a gift that I was very thankful for but really didn't know what to do with in order to benefit from it. I needed some instructions. I needed him to show me how to take this gift and get the, the meat off the bone, if you will. Amen. And so when Jesus says things like what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in Matthew, the 10th chapter. Remember what he said there. He said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. When Jesus said these things, I'm asking you to consider that it, it was not to condemn you, nor was it to set the bar uh, for salvation so high that no one um, could uh, reach it or obtain it. But instead, I believe that he said things like this because he's trying to show us the kind of attitude towards him that we need in order to receive and benefit from his gift, from the gift that he is to us. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying that if, if we um, are, are not willing to put him in the right place as far as our priorities, as far as, as our pecking order in life is concerned, then we really don't deserve Him. Amen. And that's, that's a strange way of saying this. Can you imagine, amen, can you imagine somebody like in your family, you know, standing up at the, at the Christmas dinner table and saying something to the effect of, listen, if, if you guys don't love me more than everybody else at this table, um, you're really not deserving of me. I mean, that's, that'd be a pretty hard thing to say, wouldn't it? I mean, you, listen, guys, if, if, if you don't give me the nicest gift of anybody in this house today, you don't deserve me as your nephew. Well, you know, we'd be looking at him like, what in the world? You nut, right? But why would Jesus say something like this? Because he was full of himself? Because he was arrogant and prideful? He was anything but arrogant and prideful. The most humble, the most, the, the, the most powerful example of humility that's ever dwelt among us. Why would he be so bold to say something like this? It's because he's trying to help us. He's trying to show us. He's trying to reveal to us that our response to him and our attitude towards him and the place that we're giving him is not the right place. And because we're not giving him the right place, we're not benefiting from what he came to ultimately do for us, the help he came to give to us. He's not trying to set a bar so high here that you can't live up to it and therefore he has right cause, just cause to condemn you. 
That is, he's not trying to keep himself from you. He's here to give himself to you. But he can only give himself to people who will make room for him. He can only give himself to people who will give place to him in their lives. You ever, you ever seen, maybe you had a friend that was in a romantic relationship with somebody who wasn't good to them? And, 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 and you know, they would go off with their buddies and, and, and you know, stand her up on a Friday night or whatever. And, and, and the attitude is, man, she's too good for him. He doesn't deserve her, right? Well, this is in essence what Jesus is saying here. That if, if we're not willing to put him in the place that he deserves, that he's worthy of, that, then we're not worthy of him. We are not deserving of him. Amen. Now, let's... Um, Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Amen. That was my introduction. How am I doing? You doing okay? Everybody all right? All right. Luke chapter 2. Amen. And verse number 1. We're talking about the place that we give Him. Amen. You have to give Him place in your life in order for Him to be able to work in your life. If you don't give him place, you in essence tie his hands, making it unable for him to do what he came to this earth to do. All right, Luke chapter 2. It's Christmas, so let's read the Christmas story, shall we? And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which, he called, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." What we have here is the first primetime Christmas special. Amen. They are, they are singing. They, they're, they're excited. They're celebrating. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another. Now, here's, here's their response, right? Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. 
But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. All right? Now, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew's gospel. And again, chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2. Praise God. Matthew chapter 2. All right, we're just laying a little groundwork here, then we'll comment on this and we'll be done, okay? Everybody good? All right, Matthew chapter 2, and again from verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So look at me for a, minute, for a moment. You realize that when his birth was announced, it was announced to shepherds who were living in the fields, caring for sheep 24 hours a day. When it says they were abiding, it wasn't like that they were just pulling the, the graveyard shift. That was, they actually lived out in that area caring for the sheep. Now, i got to be careful here because I've got so many other things I want to focus on before we're done this morning. But there was a reason why his birth was announced to them and no one else. Amen. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you that I know the reason. I believe these shepherds are going to be in heaven one day, and I look forward to meeting them. The, these folks would not have been considered the most important. As a matter of fact, they would have considered to be the least in, in society. Those who, who, who did that kind of work, that kind of, 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 of manual labor. That, anyway, they, they were, they were in, a, in a position, and yet... I believe, ultimately, because I know God. I know what His Bible says, right? It had something to do with the attitude of their heart. If you read it carefully, Solomon, remember, God comes to Solomon and says, I'll give you one wish, basically. You ask for one thing, anything you ask for, I'll give you. And he asked for wisdom. But if you, if you read about how Solomon was raised... Are you with me this morning? If you read about how Solomon was raised, we see that David raised Solomon to choose wisdom above everything else. In other words, he was prepared for that choice. I consider, I'm offering you this, this morning for your consideration, that had he not been prepared to answer wisdom, God would not have given him that one choice. In other words, because he was prepared in his heart to choose wisdom above gold, above fame, above women, amen, God gave him the opportunity that he was already prepared for. Are you seeing this? 
So I believe the same can be said of these shepherds. I don't, I, you know, perhaps they were like David who used to sit out there and also care for sheep and worship God throughout the night. And, 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 but anyway, whether we don't know any of that. All that is, is, is just pure speculation on my part. But what we do know is that the angels appeared to these group of men and they were at first, you know, afraid. And then when they heard the message, notice how they responded. Let us go now and visit him. Some people today, I think their attitude would have been something like this. Wow, well tell them we said good luck. Right? No, their attitude was not tell them we said good luck. Their attitude was, hey, we need to go right now and find this child. The Bible said they made haste. And when they came and they found him, then they went, then they went and made it widely known. I don't think it's a coincidence either that the prophet said that Jesus would be a shepherd to his people. And so that shepherds were involved in this. Now we come to these wise men. Let's keep reading here a few more verses. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. All right, now, let's, let's talk about the wise men. All right, I'm not trying to like... Um, you know, turn your manger scene apple cart upside down. Because, you know, we often have this depicted, it's depicted on the, uh, the buffet in the, in the front of our church where the shepherds and the wise men are there together at the manger. That is not how this happened, okay? When Herod asked what time did the star appear, he wasn't like wanting to know was it 6 o'clock today that the, that, the, that the star appeared. He wanted to know what time on the calendar did the star appear, right? So the star appeared to these uh, wise men. Let's, let's talk for a minute about who these guys actually were, okay? These were not uh, Jewish uh, uh, patriarchs, okay? These wise men were very prominent, very wealthy, um, very powerful, and very educated uh, men. Some even referred to them as kings who came from somewhere in the east and based upon what the Bible says, we know that was going to either be Persia or somewhere in, in, in Arabia, okay? Now, they were really into astronomy and, and, and the studying of the stars. And so when this unique star came into view, they were very curious about it. And exactly how they figured out that the star was 
shining upon a new king for the Jewish people, we don't really have that detailed information. We do know that in the Old Testament, am I boring you? Are you with me? We do know that in the Old Testament, it was, it was prophesied that, that the ruler would be a bright and shining star, that, that, the, that the offspring of God born upon the earth would be associated with a star. So whether that was how it was or whether like God communicated them, to them in a dream about not going back and telling Herod where the baby was, we don't really know that. But I'm, I'm, again, I'm trying to get you to see something here beyond these details is that whatever limited information these men had, they responded to it. And they, and they didn't just half-heartedly respond, but they traveled a great distance with a great treasure. And the Bible says that when they found him, so notice a couple of clues here that this all didn't happen on the same night. When they found Mary with the baby, they found her with the baby in a house, no longer in a manger, right? And when the wise men did not return to Herod and give report... Right? He asked, when did, what time did the star appear? And so when they did not come back to Herod, Herod went and did what? He killed all the babies that were two years old and younger. So what does that mean? That means that it was around two years at that point since the time that Jesus was born. In other words, a star appeared, basically they said, you follow me, you know, the star appeared on this particular date. And so Herod is thinking, okay, so the star appeared, that's when this, this child who is to be king of the Jews was born. And so he did the math. And so he just did this wide, you know, mass killing trying to kill Jesus. And, and that shows you, again, fall and rise of many. We've talked about these things. Uh, most influential uh, man that's ever lived, also the most polarizing. And so here we see, watch this now, here we see King Herod, who is also very powerful, very wealthy, very influential man. And then we see three other kings who have no connection um, as far as Jewish bloodline or any of these other things that we are aware of. But notice the difference in the response. When these three kings found Jesus, the Bible says that they bowed before Him and worshipped Him. Meaning what? They traveled from the east to bow before Him and acknowledge who they were in relationship to who He was. They worshipped Him. They, 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 they gave um, gifts to Him to express their um, uh, adoration. In other words, they're giving Him place. Are you seeing this? They're giving Him a place. They're recognizing that, that this is a child of supernatural birth and, and they're powerful men, they're prominent men, they're wealthy men, they're great men. We could even say that in, in the, the walls that they were, you know, were raised in and the circles that they traveled in, they were very powerful and prominent men. But they traveled to kneel at the, at the crib side of a baby um, to acknowledge that he was greater than them. That, 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 that he was more powerful uh, than they were. And, and as nations do, when you bring these kinds of offerings and gifts, they were literally wanting to enter into some type of, of, of league, some type of, of connection, some type of relationship with him.
Amen. See, for all they knew, he was about to be the king of the Jews that would take over the world. And he was, but not the way they understood it in their militaristic way of thinking. Amen? All right, now, I want to do this. Praise God. I want to I finish right here. And um, as I was just thinking about these things the other morning, the Lord began to speak some things to my heart, okay? And um, I just want to do my best to give them to you the way he gave them to me. And um, the two things that I was meditating on this particular morning were, you know, Christmas and, and what the Lord would have me talk about this morning. And then this, you know, thought that he's had us focused on about giving him the place that he deserves. And he brought my attention to that passage in Luke where it says that Jesus was born in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. Could I say it another way? There was no place for him in the inn. Now, census slash tax season is a great time to own a hotel in Bethlehem. Okay? Because basically you have people traveling from all over back to the city of their fathers, back to the city of their ancestors, because that was where the government said every family had to travel back there and be registered. This was done for both taxation purposes and also for, for military purposes. It was like coming and it was, it was census, draft registration, and taxes all combined. And so Bethlehem would have been flooded with people. Peak season equals peak season rates and more customers than you will have rooms for. It was a get-it-while-you-can attitude, and we see that associated with Christmas today, do we not, with Black Friday beginning on Thanksgiving now. Now, as Father began to speak to me about this, I even wrote this in my notes. I, I said, you know, Father, this is low-hanging fruit as far as Christmas, as Christmas sermons go, right? <laughs> Amen. No room for Jesus. So let's, you know, let's talk about that for a few minutes and go home. But he began to show me that there were some really important things here that we need to consider. If Christmas is about anything, it's about Jesus coming here. But by virtue of Him coming here, we now have a question to answer. And that question is, now that He's here, who will make room for Him? Now let's start with answering a couple of simple questions. 
was Jesus worthy of more than a manger? Did he not deserve better than that? You remember when Jesus was carrying his cross and, and now someone is pulled from the crowd to carry that cross for him. And now all of a sudden, they had, that individual has an opportunity to forever solidify their place in history as the person who helped Jesus carry the cross to Calvary. I think there was an, another opportunity before he was ever born. And that was the opportunity to be the family who gave their room at the end to a pregnant mother about to give birth. Are you seeing what I'm saying here, right? It's very easy for us to say, well, that innkeeper, you know, he, he, he didn't have room. But it really, it really wasn't his place to give somebody else his room away. Folks who had reservations standing in line, right? had every opportunity to say, you know what, ma'am, um, we, we're, we're tired too, but wow, you, you look like you're about to give birth any moment now. Why don't you take our room? Somebody could have stepped in and done that and solidified their place in eternal history as the family, unbeknownst to them that he was the Savior of the world, but nonetheless did something kind and, and allowed Jesus to have a place in their lives. Amen that obviously no one was willing to give. Now, let's talk for a moment about this manger. If you research it, it's a word that means both stable, stall, as well as a feeding trough, the, the manger. It wasn't just that Jesus was out in the open and was laid in... Um, you know, this basket-looking thing that you feed animals out of. As a matter of fact, most historians and scholars believe that it wasn't a wooden um, feeding trough at all, that it was actually um, made of stone and something that could hold both um, food as well. You could water animals in it as well. So we're looking at, 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 at something that was carved potentially out of stone, and, and we've you know, there are these that still exist today that he would have been laid in. But what we're really talking about here is not just the manger itself, but this word also can be translated uh, stable, for instance, like the stables. And so the stable was all that was left for Jesus. It was the only place left. Now this is just me and the Lord having a conversation here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to try to stay straight here and just read it to you as, as it came to me the other morning, okay? So the stable um, was all that was left. In other words, Jesus was born in that stable because there was no place for him in the inn. And so they took whatever place was available, whatever place was left. So the stable represents the only place left after everything and everyone else took their place. Now, 
I imagine the innkeeper thinking that he really did something special by allowing the young pregnant couple to use his stable. Now, you don't have to agree with me on this if, if you don't want to, but I really believe the Holy Spirit spoke this to my heart, and I have a vivid imagination. I've confessed that in the past, and I'll confess it again. But I believe that they were charged for using the stable. Amen. In other words, I believe that, that the innkeeper says, look, we don't have any rooms, but you know, I got a, I got a stall available in the stables if, no, if, if nobody's put their animals there. Um, you know, for a discounted rate, uh, you, you can uh, have uh, that, that place for the night. Now, the question is this, is this how we treat Jesus? Giving Him what's left of our life after everything and everyone else has taken theirs, and then expect Him to compensate us for the privilege of being allowed to stay in our stables. What place, and I'm just asking these questions, me and the Holy Spirit having a conversation here, so I'm just going to ask them to you, okay? I believe He asked me to ask you this question. What place did He deserve then, but more importantly, what place does He deserve now? Christmas is about Jesus coming to the earth. Christmas is also about who will give Him the place that He deserves in their lives. Making room for Him sounds so spiritual, but it's actually insulting. Making room for Him is what the innkeeper did. Making room for Him at the end is still a far cry from giving Him the place that He deserves. We have got to lose the innkeeper mentality when it comes to the place we give Jesus in our lives. The stable was an ancient version of our modern parking garages. It was a place where you keep animals that serve you at your convenience. Animals that require time and attention from their owners. There was a level of commitment, appreciation, even respect for the donkeys, horses, lambs, goats, and cows that were stored there. They all had their place and were there to serve their owners and master's purposes. But the question is this morning, are we putting Jesus right out there? with them. What was in the stable represented? Provision, assistance, animals that made life easier and more convenient. You keep things you use when you need them in a stable. It's not, it's not to say we don't appreciate or have respect for the things that are in the stable, but that is the danger. We think it's okay. Our appreciation and respect blinds us to what we're really doing, sending Jesus to the stable one more time. The stable is where you keep things that exist to serve and help you. And for so many, Jesus falls into this category more than any other. Food, milk, clothing, let's make some cheese, burden carriers, load lifters, plow pullers, ride givers. You keep things in the stable you care about, things that are useful to you, things that are valuable to you. You keep things in the stable you use when you you keep things in the stable that will carry you where you want to go. The question this morning is this. Are we simply keeping Jesus in the stable of our lives, hoping that one day we will jump on the back of his proverbial donkey and have him carry us to heaven when we die? 
Remember, you didn't choose Him. He chose you. He's not something you keep in the stable of your heart to add convenience to your life when you need Him. To, to call on for help. Well, it's time to plow. Let's go saddle up the donkey. It's time, it's time to, uh, to get some milk. Let's go milk the cow. My friend, I'm concerned that that's the place that far too many in the body of Christ have given to our Lord and Savior this Christmas, 2018. It's time that we get Jesus out of the stable and we move Him back with the place where He belongs, the very throne of our hearts and lives. It's time that we get Jesus out of the place of convenience when we need Him, something that we use when we need Him, something that we call upon when it's useful and convenient for us, but we don't have time for Him or give place to Him when we, when we have other things that are more pressing and more important in our lives. We want heaven's best, but we don't want to get heaven's best, the best place in our lives. And so the cry continues for repentance. I want you to notice that he hasn't even been born yet and wise men are coming to find him. He hasn't even, he hasn't even been a few minutes old yet and angels are singing to shepherds and shepherds are coming to find him. He's not even out of diapers yet. And kings are trying to kill him. Are you hearing me this morning? It all comes down. It all comes down to the place that we give him in our hearts. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Father, as we stand before you this morning, the simple cry of our heart is teach us how to give you the place that you deserve in our lives. Father, when Jesus said that if we prefer other people and other things ahead of him, we're not worthy of him, he wasn't trying to set the bar so high that we couldn't be saved. He was trying to teach us how to respond to a gift that we have no idea what to do with apart from you teaching us and showing us. So Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the gift that you've given. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for loving us enough to do what you've done for us. Father, my prayer is that what you're stirring in my heart, Father, would stir in the hearts of the people that are listening to this right now. Father, that we would sincerely evaluate in our own lives the place that we're giving you. Do we appreciate you? Do we respect you? Are we committed to you? All of those things I think we could say yes to. The fact that we're here on a Sunday this close to Christmas, Lord. But giving you a place is not the same as giving you the place. May we not be deceived, Father, into thinking because we've given you a place that somehow that means we've given you the place. Giving you the stable is not the same as giving you the presidential suite. Giving you the stable is giving you a place, Father, but 
It's not the same as giving you the throne of our lives. Father, help us. Help us consider these things. Father, I pray for families that are hurting this Christmas season. We pray for the Knowles family, Lord, such a recent transition, Lord, with Brother Lonnie. Lord, we pray for our sister Deborah White. Lord, the recent passing of her dad. We pray for the Barnes family, Lord. Recent passing of Brother Johnny, and I'm sure there are others, Lord, that I'm not aware of. Father, help us be the church that you created us to be. Help us to be the people that you've raised us up to be. Help us, Father, to make your purposes for our existence the priority of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. If you can help set up the table.